Well, usually when we look at this account of Rahab, we fall into two uh, mistakes quite often when we focus on the passage. First of all, we make the mistake of focusing our sole attention on the moral question. Was Rahab right to lie to the messengers of the king of Jericho in order to save the Israelite spies? Or we make a second mistake of focusing all our attention on the fact that the cord out of the window was scarlet and that therefore it must represent the blood of Jesus saving sinners. So let me deal with these two things very quickly because they're not the main point of the passage. First of all, I'll deal with the scarlet cord. I don't believe it links directly in the Bible to Jesus because there's no New Testament record of it doing so. So if it's not repeated in the New Testament, it's not likely to, to, for, for Joshua to mean it is Jesus. I don't deny and I affirm wholeheartedly we're saved by the blood of Christ. But there's many other places in the Old Testament we can go to that pictures that. I just think she had a scarlet cord <laughs> that she had that they used. But the, the lie is more uh, in-depth, if you like. And what I'm going to do, rather than deal with it in detail this evening, I've got uh, a paper that I've written on it for those that would like to study it further. And if you put your name, and if you want to email to you, your email address on the back, it means I can print out the right number of copies and email a number of copies to those that want it. So there's a detailed uh, account of the lie and whether it was right or wrong and all those kind of things. But I don't want to deal with it in depth this evening because the purpose of it, the passage being here is not to see whether or not Rahab was right to lie. The purpose of the account here is the faith of Rahab, a pagan woman who had no reason to become a follower of Israel's God, but she confessed faith in him and showed through that faith concern for the spies. So the main application of this passage is the faith that we should have in God and then the resulting works that that faith gives out in service to God and his people. And therefore, I want to also describe something else about this account and the way we're going to look at it. Many uh, accounts in the Bible are written in such a way that the author draws our attention to a certain point. And this is how we know that the main point is the faith of Rahab. They write in a structure that's called a uh, chiasm, C-H-I-A-S-M. And the structure of the story I'll put up on the screen. So we have the beginning and the end of this story. We have the spies that go in and the spies that come back. Then there is the, the way Rahab helped the spies. The beginning bit is how uh, she helped them by hiding them. And the second part of her help was how she helped them escape. But all of this is drawing us to the middle of the book, which is the confession of faith that she makes, especially in verse 11. And I'll read you that verse because it's the main point in the middle of the story. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. And it's amazing that a pagan woman declares that the Lord, your God, 
is God in heaven above and of earth below. That's the main point of this story and what I want us to focus on. So we're going to focus on three points which match those three uh, parts of the structure. First of all, we're going to see that faith acknowledges that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is God. Then we're going to see that faith acts in obedience to God. And then finally, as we look at the spies, we'll see that faith acts from dependence on God. And if you want a copy of the slide, let me know and I can send you that as well. So, first of all, faith acknowledges that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is God. So let's look at verses 8 to 11. Let's read verses 8 to 11. Before the spies lay down for the night, Rahab went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Rahab and the whole of the city of Jericho with her has seen the evidence of what happens to those who oppose Israel. Faith is never blind. There's no such thing as blind faith. It's always based on reason and on facts. It's based on what we know of God. God is revealed in his word. We read his word. We read of what God is like. And based on that knowledge and that evidence we know we can have faith in him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We read about God, we look at the evidence of who God is, what he has done, and we stake our lives on that. It's not blind. There's no such thing as blind faith. It's based on reason and facts. And she, Rahab, based this faith not just on something random, but on facts. First of all, though, she acknowledges what is known by everybody. There is a great fear amongst the people. All of Jericho is scared of what is going on. And their fear is that they know that Israel are coming and they know what God has done for Israel in the past. She says that the Lord has dried up the waters of the Red Sea. God can deliver his people from seemingly impossible circumstances and the Red Sea is much more of an obstacle than the walls of Jericho, isn't it? It's a whole sea. So if God can clear a pathway through the Red Sea, what are these walls going to hold against God's people? And secondly, they mention uh, the destruction of Sion and Og and you can read of that account in, in Numbers chapter 21. And verses 21 to 35. And that account describes how these two uh, kings were destroyed. It shows what happens to God's enemies when they stand against him. And it says there, they were completely destroyed. And if you read the account in Numbers, you can see that. So they saw that there's no obstacle to God fulfilling his purposes and plans. 
and they saw that no people can stand in the way of God's purposes and plans. And so there was a great fear among the people. But compare, if you will, to what she says in verse 10, we have heard, to what she says in verse 8, I know. And there's a big difference here between what we have heard and what I know. I often pray for people that I talk to about the Lord a lot, especially uh, the church where we preach and teach and things like that, that we will know God in our hearts and not just know about God in our heads. I pray for myself that God would deliver me from just mere head knowledge, that I would know him in my heart. And Rahab here is completely different from everybody else. Everybody else seems to know about what God has done in their heads and is running around in fear. But Rahab knows something of God in her heart. And she knew, unlike the others, she knew that the Lord has given this land to Israel. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. The others didn't seem to know that, but she knows. It doesn't say that they've heard that. She knows it. And secondly, she knows that it is pointless fighting against God. The others didn't seem to know that because they're going to fight. And this knowledge that she knows in her heart causes her to confess faith in the God of Israel. That confession of faith at the end of verse 11. Your God, your God is the, your, the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. It's similar to what we looked at when we looked at the account of Peter in the book of Mark. At the beginning of Mark's gospel, we see the evidence of who Jesus is. His power over sin, over death, over nature, over demons, over disease. And the disciples had seen all this evidence. And when Jesus then asked, who do you say I am? He says, you are the Messiah. That wasn't based on blindness. It was based on what he had seen. He had seen what Jesus has done. He had seen and he said, you are the Messiah. And it's similar to Rahab, isn't it? She had seen what God has done and she said, you are the Lord of heaven above, the God of heaven above and of the earth below. But the citizens of Jericho didn't respond in the same way. Rahab responded to what she knew with a plea for mercy. Look at verse 12 to 14. Now then, this is a response to what she knows about God. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. The citizens of Jericho responded to what they saw of God with their hearts melting in fear and a determination to resist what he was going to do. Rahab confessed 
that God is the God of heaven above and of earth below, and she pleads for mercy. She asks them to swear, and she, to, to, to make an oath. And the spies here are, if you like, in the story at least, they're God's representatives. So she's pleading with them as God representatives for mercy. You see, faith is, is based on reality, but faith yields results. And the first result of true faith is a plea for God's mercy. Because we realize who God is. And we realize when we see who God is, we see who we are. We see what we are. We are sinners before a holy God, and we cry for mercy. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And she seeks this mercy by asking for an oath, what's called here a sure sign. And when she says here, show kindness, it's deeper than just be nice to me. It's 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 a covenant loyalty between the two parties. And she asks that this this promise, this covenant loyalty would be in place to protect her and her family when the army comes in to destroy the city. And then the spies in verse 14 declare the oath, our lives for your lives. She confessed faith in God and pleaded for mercy and the result was the promise of salvation. There's a wonderful picture there, isn't there? If we confess faith in God and we plead with him for mercy, he gave his life for our life, didn't he? Jesus' life for our life. He died in our place, and there is forgiveness of sin. But we see here two responses to God. There's either a determination to resist God's supremacy and to fight against his purposes, or there is faith in the greatness of the Lord, and to cast yourself upon his mercy. What about today? Well, we have evidence, don't we? We have the evidence of creation. When we look at the complexity of life and all the intricacies of of all these things, it cries out that there's a creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. When we think back and Think of even whatever you believe of origins. You go back and you say there must have been something that created at the beginning. You can't have something from nothing. God created. We have the evidence of the Bible, the history of what God has done through his people. The predictions of the future that always come to pass. The the way that current archaeology can back up what the Bible says. We have the evidence of the Bible. We have the evidence of Jesus. We look at his life his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And we see only God can do the things he does because he is God. And then we have the evidence of changed lives. We've sung uh, Amazing Grace. John Newton was a slave trader who came to faith in Christ, pleaded for mercy and gave his life to him. We have Paul the Apostle, a murderer of Christians who miraculously was converted and gave his life to following God. And we have in this very room testimonies of what I once was, but now because of what God has done, I am something completely new. I am following Jesus. We have the evidence of changed lives. And you can respond in two ways to the evidence we're provided. You can resist God's supremacy, and you can fight against his purposes, like the people of Jericho, Or you can confess faith in the greatness of the Lord 
and cast yourself upon his mercy. What is your response going to be? What are you going to do with what we see here, with what God has done? Would you plead for his mercy? Would you have faith in the God of heaven above and of the earth below? Well, Rahab chose mercy. And faith results in a changed life. We don't confess Jesus as God and seek forgiveness as some sort of ticket to heaven with no change in our life. We see in this passage that faith acts in obedience to God. Faith acts. Faith produces good works. And Rahab's actions before and after her confession show the change that has been wrought in her heart. Her faith was shown in her treatment of the spies. And both the references to her in the New Testament refer to this treatment. Let me read you the two references. The first one is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. Hebrews 11, verse 31. It says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Her faith was shown in her welcoming the spies. And then the other reference to her is James chapter 2 and verse 25. Preceding this, James is talking about how faith results in works. So he says, in the same way, in other words, because faith results in works, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Her treatment of the spies evidenced the faith that she confessed in the middle of the passage. Now in these two sections, the first one we see the spies go to Rahab's house at the end of verse 1. Rahab was a prostitute, but it doesn't seem to me, there's no evidence in the text to suggest that they went there for sex, but they went there, it seems, because it was in the city wall. It was a convenient place. Ultimately, they went there because God is sovereign and he led them there. We see that the spies were pretty rubbish at being spies. It didn't take long, it appears, for the king of Jericho to figure out where they were. They certainly wouldn't get into MI6, it appears. And this king sent messengers to Rahab. He knew where they were. He knew, it seems, why they had come. And it was treasonous to be holding these men. It was dangerous for Rahab. She had every reason to bring them out and give them over. That was the easiest thing for her to do. But she lied because she believed in God. She had hidden the two men, it says in verse 6, under the stalks of flax. Flax was a a plant used for textiles. And she told not one lie actually, but four, one after the other. Let's follow this through. Uh, The first lie she says in verse 4. 
Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. Yes, you did. Secondly, at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. No, they didn't. I didn't know which way they went. Yes, you did, up in the roof. And number four, go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. (laughs) No, they wouldn't. She lied four times. And these lies appeared to work because the spies set out in pursuit of the men. So let me deal with it quickly. In terms of the lie, was it right or was it wrong? Well, the first thing to recognize is that there's a difference in the Bible between a prescriptive text and a descriptive text. A prescriptive text is a text that tells us what we should do. A good example of one is in the Ten Commandments. You shall not lie. That's a prescriptive text. A descriptive text is a passage of the Bible that describes a story or an account, which is what's going on here. This is in the Bible, as we said, not to tell us whether lying is right or wrong, but it's an account of what happened with Rahab. So the Bible's commands, uh, the Bible commands us, sorry, to not lie. It commands us not to lie. It never tells us to lie. And therefore we can't take this passage as a get out of jail free card for us to be able to lie whenever we want. It's her faith that is shown. Just like Abraham showed his faith by being willing to sacrifice Isaac. That doesn't mean that we all should take our firstborn sons up a mountain and go to kill them and hope God stops us. It's just like if there's a big seven-foot person who starts uh, bullying the people of God, we're not to all get our slingshots out and start throwing stones at him. It's a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. But secondly, the focus in the passage is on the, the faith, not the lie. And that's what the New Testament focuses on as well. The focus is on her faith and not on the lie. And in fact, it would have been easy, easier for Rahab not to lie. Whenever we lie sinful and, and, and commit sin by lying, it's never really for the benefit of anyone but ourselves, is it? It's usually a selfish thing. But Rahab here lies, and it's the worst thing she could do in a way, isn't it? Because it's a lot easier if she gave them over, humanly speaking. She helped them because she believed in God. And faith is not taking the easy option, but is trusting in God's future plans and promises. And I'll leave it a, a quote that one commentator said. He said, it's best not to excuse Rahab's actions, but neither to be troubled by them. It's best not to excuse them, but neither be troubled by them. And as I said, if you want to know more about this particular moral issue, I'll send you something about it, but it's not the main focus. The focus is on the faith. Now, verse 7 ends with a bit of a cliffhanger. It says... Uh, So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, it says the gate was shut. The gate was shut. So we're thinking as a reader, if we're reading this for the first time, or we're seeing it in a movie, how are they going to escape then? How are they going to get out? The gate's shut. They're trapped. Well, then we have this confession of faith 
And then in verse 15, the tension is relieved. They, they escape in verse 15. She let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She helped them escape. So there's three ways which she helped the spies. First of all, she hid them and lied on their behalf in the first section. Here, in verses 15 and 16, she helps them escape. She let them down through the window uh, with a rope because she lived in the city wall. And then it says that she helped them escape by telling them where to go. So in verse 16, she says, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go your way. So she goes and tells them where to go. Now, within five miles of Jericho, there is a mountain range, and it would have had lots of places where they could hide without being seen for a long time. And she knew the land well. She'd lived there. She lived in the city wall. She knew uh, she could help them escape. She found a place for them to hide. She told them where to go, and off they went. And they hid, and for three days they hid, and they were fine. They weren't found. But the third way that she helped them was by keeping quiet. And keep quiet appears twice in verses 14 and verse 20. And the oath that she uh, is told is dependent on that order to keep quiet. So she won't be saved unless she keeps quiet. And she has to keep quiet for a long time. If you think this through, as we'll go on through Joshua, we'll see, before we get to the fall of Jericho, the people at this point have still got to cross the Jordan. The people of Israel are still going to celebrate the Passover. And when they come to Jericho, they're still going to hang at camp out outside the city walls and march around Jericho seven times, blowing trumpets for the wall to fall down, which was a really weird way of defeating a city. And Rahab would have lived in, she lived in the city walls, she would have seen all of this. The point here I'm making is, she had to have faith that remained. At any point, she could have told where they were hiding where they were going, what they were doing, what was going on, uh, how they were going to come into the city and, and save her. But she had to wait and remain quiet. She had to watch this strange fall of Jericho going on around the city walls. And she stayed faithful. She stayed faithful. Even when it was contrary to human wisdom, she kept going, kept following God, kept obeying that command. You know, sometimes... Following Jesus and obeying him goes against the wisdom of this world. Following Jesus goes against what people think is the best thing to do. And humanly speaking, sometimes they're right. But it's always best to follow God in the end, isn't it? It's always best to stick with God. Even when things are looking strange, things are looking like they're not working out, it's always best to stay faithful to the obedience that we should have to God. Rahab had an eternal perspective. And Rahab, we know from chapter 6, when Jericho fell, she was saved. It says in Joshua 6, verse 25, 
But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lived among the Israelites to this day. But in addition to being quiet, there were other things she had to do. She was told to tie the scarlet cord in the window. She was told to bring her father, mother, brother, and all her family into the house. And she was told, don't go outside when Jericho is attacked. It tells us that her family, too, had to follow God's way of salvation. Otherwise, it says, their blood will be on their own heads. And if we wander from God's way then we are responsible for our actions. But Rahab kept exactly what God told her to do. Rahab's eventual rescue depended not just on a confession of faith, but on continued obedience to the spy's instruction. And there is a warning to us here too, to keep obeying God and not give up. Take seriously the commands of Scripture. Take seriously the horror of sin and how God does not want us to go there. Keep faithful. Keep going. The New Testament warns us about this. We looked at it in the men's meeting on Monday for those that were there. We were going through uh, the book of 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. We're told to obey God, not continue sinning. Now, this doesn't mean if we fall over once, we're not a Christian. What it means is, We've got to keep fighting sin. Yes, we'll fall sometimes, but we've got to keep fighting sin. Keep going, keep battling. Not just deliberately fall into sin and not care about it. When sin stops breaking our hearts, we have to question things, don't we? So take obedience to God seriously. I'm not going to stand here and list hundreds of commands. You know where you struggle with sin. You know what commands you're not perhaps obeying. And the challenge is to do something about it. Rahab showed her faith through radical obedience to what God was telling her, even at great risk to her family and herself. But the question uh, may be on some of your lips, what does this mean for those who have confessed faith and are not obeying God? Well, Salvation is of God. Salvation is not of works, it is of faith. But if we're continually disobeying God and turning our backs on him, you have to question whether they are really saved. And rather than deciding whether they are a Christian or not a Christian, if someone is walking away from God and not following them, you treat them as an unbeliever and you preach the gospel to them. And you urge them to follow Christ. It's not for us to decide who is a Christian and who's not a Christian. It's for us to preach the gospel and tell them to follow Jesus. Like Rahab did here. And as we close our time together, I want us just to focus on one quick 
thing about the spies. Because in verse 1 and the last two verses, verses 23 and 24, we see the faith of the spies. It's interesting in verse 1 how Joshua sends out two spies. Because in Numbers chapter 14, Moses sent out 12. And when Moses sent out 12, 10 of them came back with a bad report. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came back with a good report and said, we have God with us, we can do this. And although it doesn't specifically say, I I can see a link between Joshua sending out two rather than 12. Because there were two that were good in Numbers 14. And when the spies came back, look at what they said at the end of the passage. In verse 24, they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given us the whole land. You know, the whole land, they'd only been to Jericho, but they'd seen what was going on there, and they'd said, God's given us the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. The Lord has given us the land. Faith acts in dependence on God. They depended on God. They knew. They saw Jericho. They said, God can give us this whole land. This is ours to take because the Lord is with us. They knew they had the victory before they had begun. And entering our promised rest of heaven is not something that is dependent on us. It is wholly dependent on God. It is done by the work of Jesus. I don't have to earn my salvation and, and fail and fail and fail. I trust, as we were singing this morning, I come by the blood. I come by Jesus. He is my saviour. He's given me eternal life. And as we continue this work of the gospel here in Pelsall, we do so with the confidence that it's God that goes before us. We can proclaim the gospel Because it is God who saves. It is not dependent on me, it's dependent on God. And so I just have to faithfully proclaim the message and trust the Spirit to work. So we can do uh, uh, Friends and Neighbours and uh, One on Six and Discoverers and Christianity Explored. And we can talk to our friends and and our neighbours and our work colleagues and our families, trusting that if we're faithful to the message, we've got a God who does the work for us. And as we, we struggle in our Christian lives, we can keep going knowing that it's God who has the victory and we have the victory through him in Jesus. And so we leave this passage in a way where we started. We leave the people of God on the edge of the Jordan waiting to go into the promised land. And as we look next week as they enter into the promised land, we see how as they are faithful to God, just like Rahab was, God begins to do amazing works And so too, he can do and will do for us as we are faithful to him. Let's stand together as we close and just sing in two songs that relate to